Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. I want to say welcome to all of our campuses, and uh, I'm just kind of glad to be back home. I, I feel like I've uh, been traveling all over the place. I'll tell you more about that story. Um, so last Sunday, I was in Haiti with Pastor Mino, and uh, just uh, Wakala and Fairhope, uh, maybe some of you haven't met or been introduced to Pastor Mino yet, uh, but we've been partnering with Pastor Mino and his church in Haiti since 2014. And the reason we chose to partner with him is God kind of crossed our paths, and we realized that this year, Pastor Mino, he celebrated 15 years, so you go back about four years, um, for basically the first 11 years that he was pastoring his little church, he had no kind of support, nobody from the outside supporting him, and they were meeting in like this 15 by like 25 little hut that they were renting. It was just a little, oh, it was just horrible conditions, and I often thought as a pastor, I thought, man, God, this guy is so much more committed to being a pastor than I am because I, I don't know that I would have had that kind of commitment. And we just really felt like that God was calling us as a church um, to really come alongside of Pastor Mino. And because of your generosity, uh, they were able to buy some land. If you know anything about Haiti, land is very expensive, about $50,000 for just a little little bitty piece of land, about a hundred something by a hundred something feet long. And um, so you helped make that happen, and then um, they started building a church. In fact, we sent a team down uh, this last year, and you guys laid up all the block around the outside, and they've got about half of it covered and um, floor poured, and so they're going to keep working on that. Right, but let me just give you a couple pictures to catch up where uh, Pastor Mino is at. So now they have about a 50 by 50 space when this is all done. It'll be about 100 by 50 wide, and uh, it'll be two stories when it's all done. And so um, thank you for helping make that happen. Um, you guys seen that guy before, so we can move on past that picture. But one of the cool things is a great move of God happening in Pastor Mino's church. I mean, people are just really, I, I got there. This is funny. You're going to laugh, laugh about this. I, I thought I was supposed to preach on Sunday morning, and then I got there on Friday, and so we got up at like 2 o'clock in the morning, flew down to Haiti, met Pastor Mino, got there about noon, and he told me I'm preaching a revival. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, I'm like, really? So when do we start this thing? He said, tonight. So while everybody else that was with me went to sleep, I had to put together a bunch of sermons. And so, um, but man, God showed up. And then um, uh, this, part of the reason we showed you this picture is because we also like Sunday after the first, uh, the morning service is we fed everybody. Because of your generosity, we just fed everybody. But I want you to see how many young people they're reaching. It's absolutely amazing. In fact, I got up Sunday morning to do the sermon I was going to do, and then I just totally changed it and really just kind of spoke to the young people about here's how you take Haiti back. And, uh, man, just keep on. And it's just, I mean, yeah. So it's, it's just really cool what God's doing. And, um, oh, this is ridiculous here. Our, our tech team sent them down new sound equipment, so a bunch of new sound equipment because you are such a, so generous as a church. And so guess who was trying to have to help, help them sh show how to hook this stuff up? <clears throat> Like, are you really serious? So I call my, I call the guy, I call one of our guys on our tech team, and like, you send me to Haiti. I don't have a clue what I'm supposed to do with this equipment, and they don't either because it's new kind of digital kind of stuff. So there's the two guys that are going to go to Haiti whether they want to or not, like in the next couple of weeks to take care. Of, that's right because they're going to take a bunch more equipment and and. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and get this stuff figured out. So when you put me on tech stuff, man, I'm out of my league. So, yeah, I had a great trip with Haiti. My wife got to go with me for the very first time to Haiti, kind of like 
she was able to see a whole new part of the world that uh, I've experienced for some years now, and she hasn't got to experience, so that, that was really good as well. And then I flew home from Haiti, and the next morning I got on another plane, and I went to Pittsburgh for a couple days and just spent some time with some great church leaders um, learning how to revitalize our churches for the next generation and how to kind of raise up next generation leaders to lead all of our churches and all of our campuses. And man, that was just a life-giving, just, uh, man, it was so good. I'm so excited because I'm telling you, we have some amazing amazing uh, campus pastors, lead pastors on every one of our campuses. I mean, I just keep like Gray, I keep stretching him saying, Gray, man, you're going to lead so much more one day. And, you know, Isaac and Philip, I'm like, you guys have no clue. And Dustin, you guys, I mean, it's like all of our lead guys. I'm like, one day you're going to be leading this huge network of churches because you have that in you. And, and I'm so excited to just be able to like build into these guys and, and, and hand this whole thing off to them to lead in our next generation because, you know, my generation, we kind of figured out church for our generation. These guys have got to figure it out for their generation and the next generation to come. And so it's just really it was a great two days. And so I'm going to keep pouring back into these guys as, as we move forward. And so, um, and yeah, it's just, it's just been a quite, quite a ride for the last um, week or so. But it's good to be home. And, and I just love RCC. I, I tell you what, um, I really do. Um, I hope all of you at all of our campuses understand just how much I pray for you every day and love you because um, it's just kind of like when you get to pull away, you start realizing, man, RCC really has become this incredible church family, this incredible group of people who are making a difference in so many different communities. And so, man, thank you for being that kind of church. Okay. Yeah. Y'all, y'all give yourselves hands on that. Yeah. And yeah, what's interesting is, is, is some of, so many of you, you, you've, you know, RCC is kind of like this, the, the joke, the, the, the joke for RCC stands for Rivertown constantly changing. And you, you guys know that we're always changing things, trying to make it better. We don't change for change's sake, but try to make them better. And we're always working on things. Man, you guys are just so good at just leaning into that stuff. And, and it's why God is just doing so amazing things on so many of our campuses and and so it's just awesome. So let me get into the talk because we need to move on to that, right? That's what you came for today. So today we are wrapping up our series entitled um, Dollars and Cents. And uh, what this series has been all about is just like making sense out of our dollars. And so the goal is not to make like convince you that money's bad or that money's like at the root of all your problems. It's kind of actually been the exact opposite. This has kind of like been a series about helping you find financial freedom and financial peace in your life. In fact, what we've discovered over the last couple of weeks is this, is that money might be the answer to your problems. Literally, that money can like be one of God's most powerful tools to fix some of the problems that we have in your life. Because as we looked at in week one, we saw that money, if it's handled or looked at wisely, it can fix your discontentment. And then last week, we saw that it can even fix your worry, and as always, didn't Gavin Adams just do like an amazing job, and we just love Gavin because he's such a great communicator, but more than that, Gavin is like this amazing coach to me and to a lot of our staff, and so, man, we just always love it when Gavin's coming back. He'll be back in December to speak to us again, and so, um, man, you can be looking forward to that, but uh, today what we're going to do is we're going to end our discussion by talking about how money can fix this thing called guilt and greed. 
You know, the guilt that some of you have because of what you have, you have so much and sometimes you feel guilty about that. And then the greed that most of us don't even know we have because greed is often kind of like this invisible thing that's in our heart and greed has this incredible ability to kind of disguise itself. But what we're going to learn is this, is just like the whole thing of discontentment and just like the whole thing of worry, that if we learn to see money wisely, it will not only fix the discontentment and the worry, but it also fix the guilt and the greed that's in our lives. So to kind of help us see how that works, I want to start out with a question. And I want you to really think about this question. If you had to sum up your financial goals in one statement, think about this. If you had to sum up your financial goals in one statement, what would that statement be? Because the reality is this, whether you've ever written them down or not, you have some financial goals. Now, everybody has them. Maybe we just haven't thought about them. Now, maybe for you, maybe you could sum up your financial goals by something like this, make all I can. Maybe that's yours. I mean, it's like, maybe you were kind of like me when you grew up. I mean, you didn't have a lot. I mean, like you were poor enough that you knew that you were poor, kind of like I was like, I knew that I was poor growing up. And so I decided somewhere around 10, 11, 12, I mean, there were some things that I wanted to buy that my friends were getting, I couldn't have. And I thought, I'm never going to be this poor when I grow up. And my children are not going to be this poor. So I decided that I was going to make as much as possible. In fact, that became my financial goal, like when I was 12 or 13. And I started working as much as I could and making as much as I could. That was my early financial goal. In fact, that's why when, by the time I was 22 years of age, I bought a hardware and a building supply, and I, a couple years later, started building houses and flipping houses because I was so determined that I was never going to be poor. I was going to make everything that I could make. And I went after it. And I, I remember I would work. I mean, I would get up at like 4 o'clock in the morning, work till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, catch a couple hours of sleep, and then take another shower and go again. I'd work in the hardware all day long and work on spec homes and stuff like that at night. I was just like, I am never going to be poor. I am going to make all I can. And so I was in the hardware business for about 14 years, and I was doing all this house building stuff for all these years. But then God had other plans. He says, no, your goal in life is not to make all you can. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to be poor. Anyhow. <laughs> no, God has been incredibly gracious to my wife and family. And uh, so, so maybe, maybe you're like me. It was make all you can. For, for others of you, maybe your financial goal was this one here. If you summarize it, it would be spend all I can. Hey, maybe, maybe you kind of grew up not being able to buy many things, and so you're kind of your idea is you have a little bit more wealth, you know, to spend right now, and so you're trying to make up for lost time. Or, or maybe you're just one of these people that, like, you just really find it fun spending money. That's just kind of like this neat hobby, you know? It, it's just like you get some kind of high by spending. You know, like you go buy something, it makes you feel good for a second. Now, some of you, you're fortunate enough that your make-all-you-can kind of fuels and funds your spend-all-you-can. For, for others of you, 
this whole spend all I can, it's just kind of like outpaces all your make all I can. And so like you live with a lot of debt. And now it's kind of normal for you to like live month to month making payments. And life is just kind of miserable for you at this stage. And then there's those of you who kind of have this as your financial goal, and that is save all I can. I mean, maybe like you grew up in a home where like debt kind of tore your family apart or you just never had enough for a rainy day. So you decided, I'm never going to have a day in my life where I'm living without. There's always going to be plenty just in case. Or, Or maybe you're just wired like some people that I know that you're just wired to want to save all you can. And so kind of like a friend of mine who's like, that, this is just how he's wired. Instead of getting this high from going out and spending all he can, it's like he gets this high by just like every day kind of looking at his investments and, and what his money is making for him and how he's able to put more and more away. So, so maybe that's your financial goal. But, but here's the problem, whether, you may, whether it's make all I can, spend or save all I can, here's the problem. No matter which one of these three is your goals, These three goals can create problems for your life. For example, I mean, you can pursue making all I can, but more money doesn't make you happy or content, does it? I mean, you know that from experience. I mean, you've gotten more things. In fact, there there are plenty of miserable millionaires out there. Some of you are going, I'd rather be a miserable millionaire than a miserable middle class person with no money, you know, that kind of thing, or... See, see, we know that make all you can, though, doesn't solve our problems, or we understand that spend all you can, I mean, it creates a lot of problems. I mean, that's why a lot of you are like drowning in this sea of debt, and you live with this constant financial pressure. And then even if you do have the money to buy what you want, you find out that that satisfaction doesn't last. It's why you just keep buying and buying because none of the things that you spend on make you content. And it just kind of leaves you now with like this house and this garage and maybe even a storage unit that's just full of stuff. And then some of us who were raised to kind of be, have this mindset that saving is godliness you know, that's equal to godliness. I mean, we kind of hate to admit it, but save all you can. I mean, that can be like dangerous as well because you end up saving more than you need oftentimes, not just with money, but with stuff. And you know what it means when you save more than you need? It's called hoarding. And they make shows about people that are emotionally dysfunctional that way, right? But we all do it. And here, here's why. Because when, when save all you can becomes an unhealthy goal, then what you do is you prioritize money and stuff over people, which means none of these three goals are healthy. I mean, you like need a better goal if you're going to experience financial peace and financial freedom in your life. And so some of you are sitting there, okay, I know what you're going to say next because you might expect me as a pastor to say, well, here's what your goal should be. Give all you can. But here's the reality. That's not a healthy goal either. I mean, that can actually be irresponsible because if you gave everything away, then that puts you in poverty and you become a burden on other people. So, so what should the goal be if it's not make, spend, save, or give all that I can? Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to show you another alternative that was modeled for us by King David. Now, here's why this is important. What we're going to see modeled by David is just like the path to personal financial peace and financial freedom. And just to kind of give you a little background, David was like the second 
king in Israel. So there was Saul and then there was David. And during David's reign, the nation, I mean, they started experiencing some financial prosperity because David was like a conquering king. And as a result of that, David became incredibly wealthy, and he lived in like this extraordinary palace. I mean, just this amazing palace. And, and one day, it dawns on David that his home is much nicer than the place where he and his people worship God. Now, let me give you a little context for why that was a problem for David. And to do that, we have to go all the way back to Moses. See, when Moses received the Ten Commandments, those tablets of stone, whether he chiseled it in or whether God wrote it on there, and I know that kind of like, okay, how did that happen? We don't know. But anyhow, they had these Ten Commandments, and they put those tablets of stone into this case called the Ark of the Covenant. And so wherever the Jewish people went, they would set up like this portable tent called a tabernacle, and they would put this ark in this tabernacle to represent God's presence was with them. So David, I mean, he's kind of going along, and he all of a sudden realizes, man, I am living in this really nice palace, and the ark that represents God's presence is still in a tent. And David's going, that's just not right. So David's going, I should build like this nice temple for the ark that's nicer than my home. I mean, because like God deserves a better place for us to worship him, to represent his presence. Now what's interesting is David, he goes and he tells Nathan the prophet that he wants to do this. And Nathan says, sure, great idea. And then guess what? God comes back to Nathan and says, no, go tell David, don't do this. I don't want you to do that for me. Because God didn't want like a permanent place because he's like a portable God. But David pushes through and he sets it up so that his son Solomon would like build this temple once he becomes king. So David decides that he's going to get everything ready for Solomon. He has like an architect design the plan and, and then they get the land that they need. And then when David is like near the end of his life, his like his big final leadership initiative is to raise the money for the temple that Solomon, his son, is going to build when he becomes king. So what David does is he calls all the leaders together, all the people of Israel together, and he says, listen, I want you to give to this, because I believe that God deserves something better than a tent. But before he gets the people to give, David gives. And David doesn't give just a little bit of money. I mean, he like gives all of his wealth, all of his personal wealth from his personal treasure. I mean, it's like he knows he's about to die, and so he's basically leaving his whole entire inheritance to this temple project. And in today's dollars, he would have given the equivalent to $14 billion. Yes, I said that right. Billion with a B. And he tells the people how much he's giving. And then he asks the leaders to give, and he asks the people to give. And then once they've done that, David prays. And it is in this prayer that we learn an entirely different perspective and a purpose for our money that will lead all of us to financial peace and financial freedom. Let's look at what David says in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. This is his prayer. He says, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, literally referring to Abraham, from everlasting 
to everlasting. And so David starts off his prayer praising God for everything that he has done. And it's kind of like, wait just a second, David. I mean, shouldn't you like be thanking God for all the people who kind of like just gave generously? I mean, at least you should thank God for helping these people to be generous. But, but that's not how David viewed this. And you're going to see this as we go through this prayer. See, David is grateful for a much deeper reason. In fact, he goes on. He says, yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, and the majesty, and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. And when you read that, you're thinking, David, you're saying everything is God's? Really? I mean, like, you actually think that your kingdom is God's, David? I mean, like, all your wealth is God's, David? Is that what you're saying? Like, God is in control of everything? And so it's like, surely, you know, like, when you say everything is God's, maybe you kind of, like, mean that kind of like a general sense. I mean, because we get that because God created everything, so I guess technically it is all his. Kind of like when I say, hey, those are my three children. Technically, that's true, but I don't own my children. So kind of like, David, you, you mean that in that kind of sense. And as we're going to see from this prayer, David's going, no, 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 no. I literally mean it's all God's. It all belongs to God. In fact, he continues, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. Now, let's just pause here for just a moment because I think we need to be honest with ourselves. Because for those of us, we, we, call, ourselves Christ, we call ourselves Christ followers, you know, we don't really have a problem saying, oh, I agree with that in principle. We, we tend to agree with these previous verses in principle, but we strongly resist living them out when it comes to practice. And here's why. I think because we live in 21st century America, our idea is more something like this. My wealth, what I have, is because of me. I earned it. It was my hard work. So it's my income, my savings, my retirement, my 401k. See, my effort and my hard work have gotten me all I have. God didn't give it to me. I, and here's the key word, I earned it. And because that is so true for so many of us in our thinking, kind of the common financial goal that we tend to have like in 21st century America, and it makes all the sense to us in the world is this, my goal is to reward myself with everything I earn by myself. In other words, if it's rewarding to make all I can, then, then I'm going to put everything I can into making all I can. I'm going to put my life into doing that. Or if it's rewarding to me to like spend all I can, then I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure I can spend what I can. Or if it's rewarding to kind of like save what I can, then I'm going to do everything to save everything I can. Or if it's rewarding to give, then I'll give. But I'm going to do with my money what's most rewarding to me because I earn my money myself. But David would say in this prayer, no, no, you, you got it wrong. Like God rules over everything and God owns everything. 
In fact, you, you could kind of think about it th- this way. Think of it this way. Maybe you feel like you earn your paycheck every week. But, but the reality is your pay is dependent on the company or the organization that, that you work for. I mean, see, that's where it comes from. And the minute that the owner of the company or the supervisor that kind of controls your pay in your organization doesn't want to pay you anymore, you lose your job and you lose your pay. I mean, even if the work you deserve, that you're doing deserves more pay. So what you've just done is, is you've just made yourself realize, no, it's not because my work, it's not just dependent on my work. My income is really dependent on the ability and the willingness of the person that you work for to pay you for your work. And in the same way, David's saying, listen, Everything you have is not a result of you. It's a result of God who owns it all, choosing to reward you. And then he goes, and by the way, it's not even equal for everyone. In fact, notice what David says in the next part of the verse. He says, in your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Which is David's way of saying, listen, I realize everything comes from God, but everything isn't distributed equally by God. In other words, I see people who are like working harder than me, who don't have what I have. And I see people who work less than me, who have so much more than I have. So I realize God doesn't distribute evenly based on what someone did or what maybe they even think that they deserve. Because it's all God's. He has the right to decide who gets what. So I should see everything I get as a gift, which means I should be grateful for what I have. And then David continues. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. And some of you are sitting there thinking, well, if God would decide to give me $14 billion, I think I would thank him too. I'd praise his glorious name too. I mean, that's not a real stretch, David, for you to say that. But that's not why David is grateful. Here's why David is so grateful. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your Now, I'm just going to tell you, that is a completely different perspective than most of us have about stuff. We really don't believe at the core of our being that everything comes from God and that what we give back to God is what he gave us. But David believed the reason that he and the Jewish leaders and the people who gave could give was because God had first chosen to give to them. In other words, David would basically say something like this. Hey, they weren't giving God anything. They were returning to God something that was already his. Now, here's the thing. As you're tracking along with us this morning, if David is wrong, 
if everything isn't God's to begin with, if he, if he didn't choose to distribute and, and give you what you have, then, then, then you should just kind of ignore all of this and kind of do whatever you want to do with your money, like set whatever financial goals that you like best and reward yourself with everything that you've earned yourself. But here's the thing. If David is right and we believe that he is, if everything belongs to God and it comes from God and is distributed by God, then it changes everything about the way we view money. In fact, there are kind of like three shifts that we need to make mentally if this is true. In fact, you might want to write some of these down. First of all, if everything belongs to God, then we are managers, not owners. We're just managing resources that he's allowed us to have that he's given us. Second thing is this. If everything comes from God, then we should praise him, not ourselves, because so many of us, we, we think we deserve more praise and we think we deserve more recognition because, after all, my hard work has gotten me what I have. And then thirdly, if everything is distributed by God, then we are grateful, not envious. Because if we understand everything is distributed by God, then we understand everything is a gift. And so instead of being envious of what we don't have, we're grateful for what we do have. So here's the question. What should our financial goal, what's a healthy, God-honoring financial goal, what should that be if David is right? And here's what it is. It's to honor God with everything we manage for God. And I'm just going to tell you. Honoring God with everything that we manage for God, it, it's far bigger than giving every week. It's far bigger than just being out of debt. It's just far bigger than watching what we spend. I mean, think about it this way. If you went out and hired like a financial advisor, you don't want him or her to focus on your priorities with just a percentage of your money. No, no, no. And then treat all the rest like it's their own. No, you want them to honor your wishes with all of your money. You want them asking, how can I honor you with this wealth you've given me to manage? Which means this, if all the wealth that we have is God's, it changes everything about how you view money. So if the wise financial goal is to honor God with everything we manage for God, here's the question. This is a big question for application. How do I honor God with my wealth? How do I honor God with my wealth? And, and we always like to say, you, you do it by giving first, by saving second, and then by the way that you spend. So if you're not interested in that, then you can kind of pick and choose what you might find helpful over these next few minutes. But don't fool yourself into thinking that you're honoring God if you're not honoring God with all of your wealth. So let me just give you some practical steps this morning that you might want to consider for honoring God with your wealth. So we're going to go through three different things here. First of all is how do I honor God with my giving? Three things to consider about honoring God with my giving. First of all, percentages are better than amounts. See, amounts are not a great measure of generosity. They, the, the amounts can fool us easily because just because they're like several zeros at the end doesn't mean that it's a, it's a general gift or generous gift. See, generosity is measured by sacrifice, not some. Think about it. For, for some of you, it is a greater sacrifice to be generous with a dollar than it is for some people to be generous with a hundred dollars 
Or for some of you, it's a greater sacrifice for you to be generous with $100 than it is for somebody to be generous with $10,000. So generosity is measured by sacrifice, not the sum. In fact, from the beginning, God always instructed people to practice percentage giving. So if you want to honor God with your wealth, you basically intentionally pick a percentage of your income that you're going to give. And then the second thing you do is priority is better than sporadically. Like, you don't honor God by giving leftovers. It's not like, well, if I have any leftover at the end of the week, then I'll give. In fact, if somebody did that to you, you would not find that, like, honoring. If somebody says, oh, we made this pie and we ate some of it, but we couldn't eat the rest, so we're just going to give it to you. That wouldn't feel honoring. That would feel like, what, diminishing. And here's the other thing. We always prioritize what's important to us. Whatever is the most important to us, we can make happen. So if generosity is important, and if God's purpose in this world is important to you, you will prioritize giving first. And then third is progressive is helpful to protect against greed. And this one is so interesting because here's what happens. As our lives change, and as our situ- financial situations improve, and kind of ten- that tends to what happens is as you get older, your financial situation oftentimes will improve. There's this like constant temptation to get pulled back to focusing on our kingdom, our wants, our desires. And what you'll do is you'll find that you're tempted more and more to reward yourself for what you've earned for yourself. But here's the thing. If you will progressively kind of increase the percentage you give, what it does is it protects your heart from greed and entitlement. So that's how you honor God with your giving. Now, the second thing is, which is step two, is how do I honor God with my savings? And this one basically is is simple because it's very similar to giving. And that is this. Percentages are better than amounts. So you like pick a percentage that you're going to save because here's the thing. In different seasons of your life, you're not going to have the financial margin. So your percentage might have to be smaller. I mean, like all of a sudden now, maybe your kids are in high school or college. You're going, oh, we can't save as much as we did. Or now our kids are out, we can save more. Those kind of things. So you've got to pick a percentage that you're going to save during that season. And then second of all, priority is better than sporadically. Just kind of make it your second priority after giving, which means if you want to buy something and it's going to keep you from saving then you probably shouldn't buy it. Don't let spending trump saving. And then thirdly, is progressive is helpful to protect against greed. So saving helps avoid greed with this one warning. You can reach a point where you oversave. And remember we called that when you oversave, we call that hoarding. And so that becomes greed, which brings us to step three. And that is this, how do I honor God with my spending? Now, you want to write these down because these are a little bit different. First of all, is I spend as a manager, not an owner. Don't think that because you're giving and you're saving, you can just do what you want to do with the rest of the money. See, if it's all God's, you should be wise with it all if you're going to honor him. So the first thing you do is you spend as a manager, not an owner. The second thing you do is you develop a budget. You need a budget. You need a spending plan. Now, some of you, you're going to sit here this morning and think, I don't have enough money to budget. The less money you have, the more you need a budget. You really need a budget. 
Now, some of you are going, oh, I just got so much money, I don't have to worry about it. I mean, our other stuff's covered, we pretty much know. Listen, the more money you have, the more you need a budget. You, you need a plan that helps you give and save and spend without accumulating debt. Now, listen to me. This is so important. Not living on a budget proves that you aren't a good manager. It doesn't honor God. If you had a manager that was managing your resources and did not live by a budget and did not budget it out, you would fire them. And then third, pray before you purchase. Now, we didn't say you need to pray before every purchase. It wouldn't hurt. But before any major purchase, I mean, you should like first pause and ask God, okay, should we do this? Do we need to do this? I mean, after all, it's his money. He may give you the green light and say, go do that. He may say, wait. He may say, no. Because if it's his he has the right to say, and that's why the application for all of this comes down to this one question, and that is this, who owns your wealth? Because here's the reality. If you believe that you own it, giving any of your wealth away is going to be like trying to pry your fingers open for it to go out of your hands. And disciplining yourself to do with your money, like give and save and, and have a plan for your spending to do what you don't want to do, it's going to be hard. See, if you believe that you own your wealth, you're going to want to do your own thing. But if God owns it, man, that gives a completely different purpose and a perspective. And this is the purpose and perspective it gives us. And that is this, owners have rights. But managers have responsibilities. Because if David is right, and we believe he is, if it all belongs to God, it comes from God, it's distributed by God, then you are responsible. And one day you're going to give an account to God for how you manage the resources that he placed in your hand. So here's the question. What do you need to do to answer this question? What, what do you need to change if you're going to honor God with your wealth? I mean, for some of you, does that mean you need to start budgeting? For some of you, does that mean you need to get out of debt? For others of you, does that mean you need to cut up your credit cards? Others of you, does that mean you need to cancel some subscriptions that you have? Or for some of you, because I got this one friend, man, he's so stingy with his money. I was like, man, you should just give yourself at least $10 a week to live, you know, just like throw a little party for yourself, you know? Like, do you just need to start enjoying what you have a little bit more? Do some of you, like, need to be less stingy with your family? Others of you, do you, like, need to downsize? Or do you need to save less or leave less, I should say, for your kids? Now, your kids aren't going to like that, you know. But see, see, maybe you need to think twice about maybe the expenses that you have. Maybe some of you... You need to go in one of those rooms where you have all these collect this collection that you've been collecting this certain thing for years and it just stays in this room or it stays in this storage shed and you just keep buying more and more of this collection. Maybe you need to go sell that thing and put that money to better use. Maybe you need to quit wasting so much and maybe you need to save more. Maybe you should give more. Here's the thing. You won't know the answer to this question, how do I honor God with my wealth, until you ask God and listen. So our challenge to you today is that you will ask him. That you'll say, God, you know, how do I honor you 
with my wealth? Because here's the reality. The answer is going to be different for every one of you at every one of our campuses. Every one of you are a different place spiritually, relationally, financially, and God's going to have a different answer for you. But when you start asking this question, what's going to happen is it's going to free you from like the grip of greed and you're going to stop assuming that it's all for you and you're going to stop living with this entitlement mindset and it's going to free you from envy and you're going to start being grateful because after all, it all belongs to God and it comes from God and it's distributed by God and you don't have to feel guilty for what you have anymore or what you buy anymore because it's not your money. You're just doing what the owner has asked you to do because you've asked him. And so as we close out today, kind of our challenge to you is this. Will you get serious about this question here? How do I honor God with my wealth? In fact, for many of you, this question needs to become like your prayer to God this week. Maybe it needs to be something like this. God, how do I honor you with my wealth this week, what you've entrusted to me this week? Because the answer that God gives you is going to lead you to financial peace and financial freedom. And David says, when you do this, life gets better for you. Your, your future gets brighter because now you're living with financial peace and financial freedom in your life. So we want to challenge you to give and save and spend, but do it in such a way that honors God because it just makes good sense. In fact, it's the only way to make your dollars make sense. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this opportunity to just pause right now. And for each one of us to begin to ask a question that we need to be praying to you all week, and that is, God, how do I honor you with the wealth that you've entrusted to me? Not, not what other people are doing, but what do I need to do to honor you with the wealth you're entrusting to me? And God, I thank you that you love each one of us enough to give us the answer to that. And I thank you that as we start listening to you, it, it puts us on a path to financial freedom and financial peace. And God, I thank you also that the result of that is our relationship with you, it even gets better. Because now we're communicating with you about one of the things that's often the barrier between us and you. So God, I thank you. I thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts and our lives and our families God, our marriages, as we begin to ask you weekly, daily, sometimes moment by moment, God, how can I honor you with my wealth? And I thank you that you're going to answer those prayers. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen.